worship at First Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota. The Old Testament reading is found in Deuteronomy chapter 26, verses 1 through 11. When you have come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess, and you possess it and settle in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. You shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, Today I declare to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. When the priest takes the basket from your hand and sets it down before the altar of the Lord your God, you shall make this response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien, few in number, and there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. When the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us by imposing hard labor on us, we cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. The Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with a terrifying display of power and with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground that you, O Lord, have given me. You shall set it down before the Lord your God and bow down before the Lord your God. Then you, together with the Levites and the aliens who reside among you, shall celebrate with all the bounty that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God has done marvelous things. Amen, right? In early early November, we find ourselves in a season that, at least every other year, is filled with some amount of controversy and disagreement. But this is something that we can all easily agree on and celebrate. God has done marvelous things. This also happens to be the theme and the focus of our annual giving response campaign this year. And I hope that by now you all have received a letter from me in the mail with this lovely purplish-bluish graphic on it, designed by our own Pastor Ellery, reminding us all that God has done marvelous things. That letter also included an intent card for the coming year in 2023, which we encourage you to take some time and think about and pray about and fill that out. Um, If you haven't done that yet, we are collecting those this week, um, through the week, next Sunday, with the goal of receiving 125 back. But in the meantime, today we get to spend a little bit of time reflecting theologically on the why. Why do we give anyway? How do we make sense of the meaning behind the money? And what difference does that make? 
So since we're thinking about this specifically, I set aside the scripture readings on our our little three-year cycle of scripture passages for worship, the lectionary, and instead I picked some different texts that all have kind of a slightly different perspective on offering and giving and generosity. Um, As I figured out, uh, I figured out as I was preparing for this today that I only have time to talk about one of them. So I'm choosing the Old Testament reading from Deuteronomy chapter 26. And I'm choosing it because I think it just about perfectly illustrates both our theme this year and our theology about why we give. I know it's hard probably to pick up on all of that significance just hearing it read once, so let me summarize quickly. Um, This passage is God telling the people that once they are established in their new home in the promised land, they are to harvest the fruit of the land and put the first fruits into a basket and bring that to the altar of the Lord. That part's pretty straightforward. But they're not just supposed to drop it off with a bow and a wave. There's a script that they need to follow. So when the priest takes the basket and places it before the altar, the person who brought it makes a spoken response, which is laid out word for word in quotation marks, starting there in verse 5. And it's a recitation of the central story of the Israelites' relationship with God. So as they're making their offering, they are also recounting the most powerful and profound thing that God has done for them. They're talking about how God has brought them up out of slavery in Egypt, led them to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So this was their formalized declaration that God has done marvelous things. And that declaration is closely related to their offering. If you caught our wandering in the word conversation this week, you heard me telling Pastor Ellery and Melissa that I think there are two words in that prescribed speech that the whole question of why we give hinges on. Two words at the end of the description of what God has done. Verse 10 begins, so now. Because of what you have done, now I bring this offering before you, O Lord. What we bring before God and place on the altar is a response to what God has done. It's a recognition of the power and the signs and wonders and the promises made and kept, the mercy shown and the grace granted. These offerings were an outward sign of awe and gratitude and praise. So one thing that I really appreciate about this Deuteronomy passage is that it could not be clearer that their offerings and ours by extension are first and foremost a form of worship. We bring our offering with praise and gratitude for God's goodness and as acknowledgement that our well-being is based on divine provision and care. And that is why we don't have like a business office set up in the narthex that you uh, stop at before you come and sit in your pew, but rather offering has been part of the shape of worship of the Christian liturgy since since the church had a liturgy, because our offerings are part of our worship. Of course, with the advent of technology and online banking and credit and debit cards, our offerings look a lot different than they might have 5,000 years ago. Today, we have ways of giving that are way more convenient and far more consistent, which are both very good things. 
But the only lament that I have over my own form of offering, which is a monthly automatic withdrawal from my bank account, my lament is that then my offering is becoming separated from the act of worship. So there's lots of advantages to modern finance, that one drawback, and maybe that is why it feels especially important to remind ourselves from time to time that our offering is our worship. Our giving is a response to the goodness of God made known to us. But maybe it's not quite as simple as just that, right? Come on, pastor. Some of you might be thinking. We all know that part of the urgency behind asking people to give money is that we have a budget to meet. We need to keep the lights on around here. I mean, you're not wrong. The line item in First Lutheran's annual budget that includes lights will easily surpass, if it hasn't already, it will easily surpass $50,000. Obviously, we can't ignore that commitment to the power company. And, to be perfectly honest, I do enjoy a paycheck as much as the next person. So, the church's meeting of financial goals is a real-world, practical outcome of our spiritual worship. And we don't want to deny that. But what might change if that were not our focus? What if bills and a budget were not our primary why? What if we told a more powerful story than that? So look again at Deuteronomy 26. When the people have recited the story, they are to set down the food and bow, and then it says, together with the priests and the foreigners, they are to celebrate with the bounty the Lord has given. This means that the offering is not just burnt up in this case. Rather, it is used and enjoyed. It's used to feed and compensate the priests, who obviously can't be out hunting and harvesting themselves because they're working in the temple. It's used to feed those who don't have means because they're new to the community. These things are not unimportant outcomes of the offering. Because the ancient Israelites didn't have lights to keep on, but they had to eat. So those things aren't unimportant. They're just not the main thing. And what difference does that make? If you were to reframe your giving in terms of your own relationship with God, rather than in terms of contributing a share toward, you know, building insurance and plowing the parking lot, would that change things for you? Maybe for some it wouldn't, and that's okay. But I can speak for myself on that question. It makes a difference to me. I don't make an offering to this congregation because I want to help fill the bucket of every line item in our budget. I would find that somewhat dull, frankly. Because to be honest, I appreciate this building a lot, but I don't love it as much as I love my own home, and I could certainly be putting my money there instead. And I want to contribute toward compensating our staff because they are great people who do great work, but if I had to choose between putting some money toward Pastor Ellery's retirement fund or putting it in my own child's college fund, I might rebalance that equation a little bit. I'm sorry, Pastor Ellery. <laughs> but I don't have to worry about any of that 
because I'm not giving to the budget. I'm giving to God. I'm giving to God in gratitude for two healthy, beautiful sons and a meaningful vocation and a whole list of things that are God-given gifts, starting with living a life created in the image of God in this beautiful world God created. My giving is at least as much a spiritual conviction as it is a financial decision. Once we let go of our offerings, once we place our baskets before the altar, then we get to do the work of deciding how to use and enjoy those offerings together. And here at First Lutheran, we use those offerings wisely and faithfully and generously, making our space more beautiful, or at least maintaining it, compensating our staff, sharing some with our ministry partners at Camp Metagoshi and Campus Ministry. These are all wonderful and worthy things. But at least in my view, they're not the main thing. For some of us, the why can make a big difference. So when it comes to our tithes and offerings, how can we keep the main thing the main thing? How do we click submit on the donation page or sign the paperwork for automatic withdrawal or drop an envelope in the plate with our hearts full of joy and not just obligation? As Christian disciples, how do we keep God and what God has done at the center of our thinking and doing and being? I think it has a lot to do with the story we tell. In Deuteronomy 26, it was the story of the exodus from Egypt into the promised land. For us today, our story has something to do with Jesus and with grace and love and salvation. And what else? As we gather to worship a God who we agree does marvelous things, what are those things that God has done in your life and in the world lately that are worthy of worship and praise and thanksgiving? What is the why of your worship and of your offering? There were some blank little sheets on the table as you walked in today. They have our little graphic in one corner and then some space to write. As part of your offering today, I'm going to invite you to jot down some of the marvelous things that God has done for you. And rather than reciting them out loud, as described in our scripture reading, we'll just record them in writing. And if you wish, you can place this sheet then in the offering plate when it comes around as part of your offering today. I asked our Wednesday night crowd in worship this past week to do the same exercise. And it's always touching to ask an intergenerational crowd a question like this because kids do bring a fresh perspective. Many people on Wednesday wrote about the gift of family and friends, people that love and care for me. Pets were also mentioned frequently. One person wrote, I am thankful for water and food. I am so glad that you made me. God has certainly done marvelous things, and people wrote about how God provides us with things like imagination, warm homes, democracy, sunsets, education, farmers, military, gardens, joy, weekends, opportunities, cookies. One slip listed several of those common things and concluded, 
Also, Dr. Pepper. The more specific these reasons, I think, the more powerful they are. One person wrote, God has kept our family together through traumatic medical diagnosis. Our daughter is healing. Our son is strong. People have shown us tremendous grace and love. We are truly blessed. How is that for a why to worship? Recognizing that God has done marvelous things, what story would you tell? These papers are for lists or composed thoughts. They're for things big or small, general or specific. Write down the marvelous things that you have received or that you have observed, and then either keep it with you as a reminder or put it in the offering plate as part of your offering. I hope you will dwell on these things. Call them to mind as you fill out your intent card with your estimate of giving for 2023. Let the things that you write here fill your heart with gratitude and praise for God. Let them be the reason you worship our God who is good and great and worthy of praise and adoration. God has done marvelous things indeed. Thanks be to God. Amen.